Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Oh man, everyone, welcome to episode 90. 90! We've been doing this a little while now. Barrett. How you doing? Red, yellow, green. I am squarely yellow. My father-in-law is this moment, hopefully coming out of surgery on his back. And so I'm waiting on news from that. It's always a little nerve wracking until you get the news that everything went well, according to plan. So I took today as a sick day to support the family, but I'm podcasting in the middle of it, which is a nice little distraction for a little while. How are you doing? I'm green. Let's see. Things going on. I've been a little bit sick the last like week and a half. And so I was like, I don't know, is it COVID or is it not? Got a COVID test yesterday. Totally not COVID. So that's good. Things to be thankful for. Yes, exactly. It was one of those drive-through tests, but I got results. Like they just said, like park there. And then 30 minutes later, they came back and said, you don't have COVID. So anyway, they have their systems down to a science. Man, it's been a good week at ConvertKit. Yes, it has. Revenue side, I think we've been over like 2,500 in net new revenue every day this week, which is pretty wild. It's also the end of our build cycles. And so we've just been releasing all the stuff. We like are quiet for a little while. And then we're like, look at all this crazy stuff we built. And people are like, wow, that's amazing. And then we're quiet again for like five weeks and then we show up. But it's one of those fun times that we've got a lot to release. We also hired a VP of product. We did indeed. Can't talk about who it is yet or anything like that. Cannot. But it's funny when you have these things on your list, like, Once that was done, there's still so much work to be done. All of this creative energy towards other things. Like I wrote 3,000 words on my book proposal and and sample content. I like scheduled a bunch of other things I've been meaning to get to. So it was just funny how it was like this floodgates open. It's like, and now look at all the stuff I can do. Yeah, that's been good. So probably yellow, green. It's also like pouring rain here. We've had a lot of that today too. Yeah, it's been a very dreary Friday. Yeah. First, we should talk about making creative, I was going to say poor choices. I'm going to go with creative choices. Last minute on impulse. The impulse, is it peer pressure from the team? You started a paid newsletter. I did indeed. One of the things we launched this week was the ability to process recurring payments or a subscription product inside of ConvertKit Commerce. When we launched Commerce in general, that was the spark for me to finally update all of my material on how to go about finding a job successfully. Yeah. And I turned that into the most meaningful job of your career workshop. That went really well. I don't remember how many people bought it. Enough people that it was worth it. And I did a live version and then a self-paced version. And so this time, the peer pressure was towards creating something to use this subscription product in ConvertKit Commerce. So I made a paid newsletter. It was on a whim, but also writing is like my... It's been a long time coming. Yes, I want to be writing. I need to be writing. It helps my creative juices flow, but it also just keeps both you and I connected to the product and like the actual experience of using it. Yes. And so for this very small period of time, I think I'm leading a number of subscription payments being processed. But yeah, I launched it. I'm calling it Career Capital. I went back through all my old writing on just meaningful careers and looked for a phrase that I had already used before. Mm-hmm. And that was my method for naming it. And that one stuck. And it feels like exactly what I'm trying to do is like, what are those direct hard conversations that you would normally have with a mentee or someone you care deeply about, about how to make the most of their career? And let's just put that in email form so I can do that for as many people as possible. 
So first issue went out today, went out to 28 subscribers. I gained one more right afterwards. It's $5 a month, which is, you know, like nothing basically. And so I'm at $145 a month, which feels pretty good for like three tweets and an email. Yeah. And my next goal is 200 paying subscribers. Ultimately, if I could get into the like 2000 to 2500 range, it would feel like a really valuable way to have an impact on a bunch of people and make a nice like I could channel that into, I don't know, a real estate property or something like that. That would be really fun. So anyways, that's the long term goal. That gets into some of those like this side project turns into a thousand a month in revenue, 2000 a month, you know, somewhere in there then you're like, wait, that's starting to look like most of a mortgage payment on, you know, a vacation property or an investment property or something like that. Someone asked a couple of episodes ago about taking like internet money and turning it into real world money. And that's kind of the fun things that become available. Another way that I've loved when people think about it is removing individual payments. So at one point you're like, okay, I'm just trying to get going. Maybe if we're starting really small, if I get three subscribers, it replaces my Netflix bill. Right. Then you're moving up. You're like, okay, now it's my entire internet bill. Yeah, exactly. Now it's my car payment. Right. It's a really fun way to think about it because you can get in this trap otherwise of like, oh, it's a hundred bucks a month or being like, you know, I need 5,000 or 8,000 a month to live. And so it doesn't feel as substantial, but that's a way that you can make it really tactical and tangible. Yeah, exactly. Our next two personal financial goals are like a full six months of expenses. We have like a true emergency fund where you cut back on everything kind of thing. Yep. I want to have like a full coverage of six months of all expenses. And then I want to pay off our car. We only have one car Mm -hmm. and go ahead and pay that off. Because to your point, like that's not just taking care of the monthly payment. That's actually eliminating it. This is this idea that we talked about the other week. I don't remember when it was of compounding financial wins. Right. Because that's how you end up building long-term independence and wealth is you don't just make the money, you then funnel it into eliminating liabilities in other areas. And now that creates even more free cash flow that you can use to invest or do other things with. So, Yeah. And that's another thing. I've seen a lot of people do this if they have debt to pay down, whether it be a car or student loans or something like that. Then they're mapping like, okay, my side hustle is going to go towards this other thing. Our friend and former coworker, Matt Regland, he talked about that quite a bit. A lot of his side hustle stuff was to pay off student loans and other debt. Right. And then once he cleared that, he had all this momentum and it turned into the whole thing. And now he's a full-time creator. I think that can be great. But let's say that like, I don't know, buying individual stocks on Robinhood is like your little fun pastime. And so you're like, okay, I don't want to touch this other money, but I'm going to start a side hustle and put that money into buying my, you know, Tesla and AMD and other stock like Shopify and other ones that you want to follow. And then that compounds further, right? Because you're taking a return here that's growing right? and you're putting it into something else that's growing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So anyways, it's fun. I'm excited. I'll kind of do some like work in public updates. I did one on Twitter today just to kind of show like exactly how much promo I did and what that resulted in. The hard part will actually be doing free content now to actually grow my wider audience. But that's for another day. It actually gets to the first question though. Let's do it. From Noah. Noah asked, Barrett, what's it like deciding to hop back on the content treadmill with the paid newsletter? Where do I draw my inspiration? And then just personal note on getting back to him on an email. Okay, what's it like to get back on the content treadmill? You're on the content treadmill now too, doing a newsletter every week. Yep, 21 weeks in a row. Not to brag, but pretty solid. You got 20 weeks on me. (laughs) Okay, first things first is while it is a paid weekly newsletter, I am doing it a little bit differently than maybe you would see from a lot of the people who have started paid newsletters recently and that I'm making it an evergreen newsletter. 
And so my goal will be to write every issue in an evergreen way or a timeless way where the advice applies regardless of when you get it. Mm-hmm. And so when you subscribe to Career Capital, you'll go into an automation and convert kit that sends you a welcome email. It has a, two questions for you to respond to. And then it drops you into a Friday cadence where you start at issue one. And so for each person, it's personalized to them in terms of timing. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I might be able to personalize some of the content. We can use things like content snippets where I could put in a recent event type thing in whatever email they're getting this week. And so things like that. But I'll also likely, I'm going to try and work out a way to automate a person being able to say, ah, I want to go to the latest issues. I don't want to read all the back catalog in order. I want to actually just get the latest stuff you're writing. And then that would just skip them all the way ahead. Mm -hmm. So it is a content treadmill. However, I'm trying to build it in a way that it will pay off over time. So I'm not having to like always keep up. Yeah. On the other hand, people paying me is a good accountability mechanism because I can always excuse not writing for focus at ConvertKit. Right. And there is value to focus, but I certainly have time to write what amounts to an article a week, like without a doubt. And so this will just be a good accountability mechanism for me to actually get it done because people are counting on it because they're paying me for it. Okay, so there's a couple of things I really like about this. If there's two ways to look at this, one is the the hamster wheel, right? Now you're on this content hamster wheel and you have to show up every single week. We kind of talked about the downsides of that. But what I think you've done is you've taken that and turned it into a flywheel and said, yes, I do have to show up consistently. But as I do that, I am going to make it be something that is a system that's generating content, generating assets that work for me going forward. And so that's a very different thing than like, especially these daily newsletters or something like that, where it will define your life. This is something where you could, you know, at some point down the road, if you want to take a week off, I bet people would totally give you Christmas off or something. Cause there's this whole back catalog that you've built up of content for them to consume. And maybe only the most like dedicated people who have been there from the very beginning would even notice that you took Christmas off. Right. You know, because they have all of this catching up. And so for those people, you might say like, hey, no newsletter this week, but we're doing a behind the scenes Q&A or we're doing something else that's going to be easy for me to show up with. Yeah. And then the other thing is this newsletter that you're producing, all that content can be repurposed into something else as well. Yeah, exactly. He also asked, where do we each get our inspiration from? I tweeted earlier that two things inspire more writing ideas, reading and writing. (laughs) I said it was trite but true, and it is trite but true. It doesn't come from anywhere else. When I read, I get ideas. When I write, it's like a mind map opens up. You know, so I wrote in an issue yesterday. My first issue was about talent company fit. It's kind of like a play on the idea of product market fit, that when you fit with where you work, that opens up all of this room for you to grow. Not going to get into more of it because you have to pay me for that. But that sparked a bunch of thoughts. Like, for example, drawing a graph that shows revenue growth and scale of a team with number of generalists and number of specialists on a team over time and how to optimize for being a generalist versus a specialist, depending on what kind of company you want to go to work for. Like, that's a cool concept. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't written yesterday, that concept would not be in my brain right now. And so like this afternoon, assuming all is well in surgery land, I'm going to go write the next one because I'm inspired and like I already have the idea and I might as well just carry that forward. But I have a list now of just off of writing yesterday, I think eight or 10 more ideas came out of that one writing session. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was instead of trying to make it super expansive, I just said, okay, focus one point, one email, one point next week, make the next point. My goal is to write 500 to 1,000 words in an email and then three links to things that you can read to deep dive on the topic. 
So anyways, writing and then reading is the other. In normal times, I would say things like our mastermind retreats, Mm -hmm. spending time with really high quality thinkers would be a third way. It's just a little bit harder right now. Although we do have our monthly, what I'm calling salons that we've been doing lately too. Yeah, that makes sense. We've got a few more questions. Before we move on from newsletters, I want to touch on the pricing for a minute because you started with $5 a month. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love for you to share some of that. Partially, it's because you have other goals than just the money from it. Mm -hmm. Share a little bit on why you chose $5. Okay, $5 is what? A good cup of coffee in Portland or a normal cup of coffee in Portland, which is a good cup of coffee everywhere else. (laughs) I'm so pretentious. Okay, $5 is a throwaway purchase. Mm -hmm. And you don't just get one thing, you get four things every month or four and a half, I guess, on average. So... I think it's a no-brainer. I always want to deliver 10x value for anything I charge for. It's really easy to do that at $5 a month. I actually think $5 an issue would be really easy to deliver that amount of value for. I legitimately think, I made this call out in the email I sent to my audience that if someone subscribes to this and acts on what I tell them to do, over a period of 18 to 24 months, I bet they should be able to increase their earnings by 30 to 75%, somewhere in there. Yeah. I can't promise it, obviously, but I don't feel hesitant saying that. Okay. The first thing is five bucks, throwaway purchase. It's easy for anyone. It's accessible. It's like, I can't spend time with you that you might want with me, but I can send you a really high quality email that's a form of mentorship. The second piece is it kind of forces me to also focus on volume. Mm -hmm. And as a person, I can get in this mode of like, people just don't understand the value I provide. Like the people who get it, you know, pay attention. But this will actually make me think about how do I get more? And I like that. However, I also think there's a little piece of me that's like, okay, make sure you actually want to maintain this before you charge people what it's really worth. Right. And so I could totally see there being either another tier or like even increasing the price in general in the future once I've proven that I can do it for 20 weeks in a row or something like that. So one thing that makes me think of is taking like mental note of what your fears or roadblocks are going to be. So yours that you might go to is, I've always been the person who delivers really high quality to a small number of people. Coaching, you know, anything that's tailored to that individual. I'm not a volume kind of person. And so then, you know, exactly what you're saying, charging $5 means for it to be meaningful, you have to get 200, 500, 1,000. Like we have to move into substantial numbers of people. And so it forces you to change this mindset and be like, okay, I have to step out of my comfort zone into this scale where a lot of our friends play. Now, someone else might be in the other camp and they might be like, I'm going to charge $5 and then realize that it's because they're scared to charge what they're worth. And that's their roadblock. Yeah. And in that case, you and I would be all over that and be like, no, 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 you have to charge 10. Okay. What makes you really uncomfortable? $20 a month mm-hmm. because you need to be confident that that's the level of value that you're delivering and that you're creating content that's worth that much because that's the roadblock. Right. Charging what you're worth, 100% not the roadblock, like mental barrier that you have. No. I have no worries about that. And so it's just interesting how you can tailor the product that you're selling to your own mental obstacles that you need to overcome. Right, exactly. Let's do some questions. Chris asked in the chat, Chris Spo or Spow, could you describe the process for planning out your key goals, objectives, and KPIs, I assume, or KPRs for 2021 at ConvertKit and how your current process differs from the plans you made back in the creator days? Hmm. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind in terms of back in the creator days... I think I've written a post on planning your year. It might've been for Fizzle though. I'll go track that down. But it's, you don't have to worry about anyone else. You know, you're not coordinating across, like we're coordinating across 60 people. Right. Plus a hundred contractors or something like that. And so there's just a lot more complexity to all of the pieces that need to happen. When you're a creator, it's like you have however many hours you're dedicating to your work every week. And that's all you can do. 
And so you've got to be just like this much focused on what can your plans represent. And so by nature of that, they are more focused, less breadth, you know, and it's limited to only what you want to and can do that year. For the company, it's just there's more moving parts and we have more factors to consider and what are we aiming for than just what do you and I want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the biggest ways it's different. I think the big thing of you know how we go about it is we definitely spend a lot of time meeting together and planning it out, but we identify what are the two or three biggest things that we're trying to move the needle on. We, then we try to put numbers to those. So instead of like, okay, we want to grow commerce, then it's like, well, okay, but be specific. You can think of it as, there's this phrase of like, make it falsifiable. Basically prove whether or not this is going to happen. If you made a prediction and said e-commerce will be bigger in the future, it's like, okay, sure. But if you could say global spending on e-commerce is going to increase from this percent of GDP to that percent of GDP in five years, then you can come back and say whether I was right or not. Mm -hmm. Whether it's individual goals or company goals, you have to make them falsifiable. So can you know if they were achieved? And then the last step or the last major step that we'd go to is set counterbalancing goals. So if we're like, we're going to hit revenue to this level, then we would have a counterbalancing goal of we're also going to get number of paying customers to this because we're trying to actually focus on, say, the customers paying us 29 to a couple thousand dollars a month. Because if you're just focused on revenue, then we would go this other direction and say, like, we're going to go get a bunch of five or ten thousand dollar a month enterprise accounts, which is antithetical to how we want to build the business. Right. And so as a creator, you might say, here's my revenue goal. And then if you had a number of customers or a amount that is from your services business versus your products business, basically a counterbalancing goal that expresses how you want to achieve it. Yeah. We are a little bit transitioning this year. We've had kind of a like intuitive planning process Mm -hmm. and we're enlisting the help of our coaches. They start from more of what's called a balanced scorecard approach, which is a methodology people learn in MBA programs. And we're going to do a derivative of that this year. So you basically start with financial targets, you go down to strategic initiatives, you take those strategic initiatives and think about the team level. What do teams need to do to contribute that? And then you go through resource allocation. Where do you need to spend money? Where do you need to hire people? That kind of thing. So that's the approach we'll take this year. We can let you know how it goes if that helps anyone. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, next question is from Mason. How do you each prioritize your mental health amidst work priorities, family needs, and the outside challenges this year has thrown at us? It's very challenging. We're very human in this way. In some ways, I think we probably both have both healthy and unhealthy ways of doing this. Yeah. One unhealthy way is I channel a bunch of energy into creating stuff. I create newsletters or products or things like that. It's like a productive way to respond to things that are out of my control Mm -hmm. is to say, well, this I can do. And this limits like what I'm spending time and energy on to productive asset building ways of going about my life. The second thing is I try and catch myself early in the cycle of stress where when I start to feel it in the pit of my stomach or I'm seeing it show up in my habits day to day, I try and go back to three things, sleep, diet, and exercise. And I guess the fourth one that always comes out of that is just quality time with family. Right. But if I'm getting eight hours of sleep at night and I'm exercising three, four times a week and I'm generally eating pretty well, which for me looks like no gluten, no dairy, and mostly meat and veggies, which is just kind of what I do normally, that helps. A habit, for example, that I was into getting into during the pandemic was like a cocktail three or four times a week after work, typically on the nights I wasn't working out and then like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And that's fine. Like, I don't mind having a drink at night. But what I realized was that it was becoming a thing where it was just the default. 
And so I realized that was a stress response and I just cut it off. I said, okay, I'm not going to drink for a month because that way I can reset and then decide, okay, what nights of the week do I want to have a cocktail or a beer or whatever? So I try and break the habits when they start going bad. And then if I find myself on the other side, I got too far in and now I'm anxious, maybe heading into depression even. I really break everything. I do like a hard reset on all my habits. I default back to getting a lot of sleep. I really get strict on food and then I go straight to, I got to book therapy appointments and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think another thing to add to that, I do a lot of the same things is having some checks and balances. And I think we're pretty good at calling each other out. It sounds too strong. Maybe just like noticing where the other person is at. We both have coaches who do the same thing. Who are like, hey, I think you need to take some time. Like a few weeks ago, my coach was like, look, I can just feel the tiredness from the other side of the Zoom call. Like you need to take some time away. You know, I did that, took three or four days off. And so I think having those people in your life who are noticing that and then have some of those check-ins for yourself, like people who do journaling and like whether it's five-minute journal or morning pages or something like that, those are often designed to have these check-ins where you're like, oh yeah, no, I'm good. Okay, maybe I'm not. Then you can dig in and why is that? Yeah, totally. Next question, just kind of fun, quick one from Chris. He says, will Seth Godin be your guest on episode 101? I don't think so. You know, that's not what this podcast was for. It's like not really a guest show. It's really just our place to share what we know, share trends in the industry, answer y'all's questions. If I'm being honest, like, I don't know if it's a good use of Seth's time. And I don't know that it adds that much to the show, all things considered. Right. If I were going to ask Seth to join us, it would be for something else, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we did for like the first craft and commerce, we asked them to come out and that was awesome. I'm really glad we did that, but I just don't know that this show is the right venue. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, the reason that Chris is asking is because we brought up the fact that Seth has a rule that when someone's like, well, you come on my podcast, he says, yes, after you've done a hundred episodes, mm-hmm. you know, some of my podcasts, like all creative ventures start and then you know, die off when someone's like, okay, turns out five weeks of podcasting is actually harder than I thought or, you know, whatever else. And so Seth's way of saying is like, I'll make myself available to anyone who's willing to endure and put in the effort to create consistently. And so that's where the question comes from. And yeah, I think for us, we have a lot of famous or internet famous friends and we don't want to be annoying. If we're going to ask someone for something, it better be really meaningful. Yeah. And unique. Yeah. That's the other piece, right? It's like, you can listen to a hundred interviews with Seth, probably more all over the internet. So like a thing that I would do with Seth, for example, is I've had this other podcast in my mind forever. I want to do interviewing people working on really hard society level problems. Mm-hmm. If I did a hundred episodes of that, I would ask Seth to come do a conversation about the education system, right? Because he's written about this, but it's not like his thing, you know, it's not the core of his work, but he has a lot of good thoughts on it. That would be a great, that would be new ground to cover. And that would be something that I could add to his like pantheon of work that's out there. Yeah. So that's always what I think about is, does it even make sense? You know, it's like a cool kitschy thing to say Seth Godin's on the show, but did we actually deliver something new from that? That's something else. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I would just think about bringing something new to the world. Yeah. So if I'm pitching someone to come onto a show, anything you can do to tailor the pitch. So it's not like, let's just rehash the same story that you've told over and over again. Instead, you would say, okay, from this thing that you said, I know you care deeply about this topic. I'd like to have you on so we can deep dive on that. Because best as I can tell, there's only this seven minutes of audio that exists ever of you talking about this. And I've researched it like crazy. An example would be Jason Freed from Basecamp has talked about the same work, you know, habits, software, all this. Like he's talked about it endlessly. 
And he has the same talking points as a lot of these people do. I have a guess in my mind. I'll tell you if I'm right about what you're going to highlight. Okay. So something that Jason is super interested in, and I've only heard him talk about it once, and that is prairie restoration. Yes, I knew it. (laughs) So he's actually bought a lot of land in the Midwest and he's working on like with conservationists to restore this to the original prairies the right way. As much as he's gotten obsessed by anything, he's wildly obsessed about this topic. But like everyone's like, hey, Jason, let's talk about why it doesn't have to be crazy at work. He's like, great. Okay, I'm down with that. But I bet if your pitch for any creator was for that thing that they care deeply about and never talk about, maybe you pairing them with another expert that they wanted to meet and talk to anyway, or you could come and have done the level of research where you could talk to them as a peer. Yeah, an intellectual peer, then I bet they'd be far more likely to say yes. Yep, totally. Okay, I think this is our last question for today, unless another one comes in randomly. Damir asks, in the future, do you see ConvertKit offering a native mobile experience, which means an app, for ConvertKit creators with the focus set of easily accessible productivity and or analytics features? Yeah, that's actually something we've been talking about a lot lately. One thing with a small team is you have to be really careful to not spread yourself thin. The conversation that we're having right now is what features would we want to add to a mobile app and then how do we want to go about it, right? Because there's mobile web or there's, you know, like these cross-platform hybrid native experiences like React Native or something like that. And then there's true native apps for iOS and Android. I was going to say Windows, but that's not really a thing anymore. Windows Phone kind of died. There was a time where you had to build all three apps, but not really anymore. So I guess it's just the two. And then there's all of our silos in the product of like subscribers, broadcasts, automations, reporting. Some of them lend themselves really well to a mobile experience. Others like automations could be a little bit more challenging just based on how it's all drawn and rendered. And so that's the conversation we're having right now of what does it look like not only to build it once, but also to maintain and build it forever because you're increasing the footprint of the product. And whenever you're doing that, it's true in SaaS, but it's also just true in life of being really aware of like, hey, this isn't some random new thing. This is a new responsibility that I'm going to have to. Yeah. I don't know if it's like having another kid or something where you're like, hey, I'm actually responsible for this forever. It's not just like for a couple of years where it's fun. Right. And so that's the conversation we're having now of like how best to go into that and do it responsibly. There's always the questions of like, okay, convenience makes sense, but what is the actual desire behind it? Like, what are you wanting to do on the go or on a mobile phone or whatever? I picture being on the subway in New York when we lived there and someone wanting to go on ConvertKit as a way of productively using that commute time. What is a person actually trying to do during that time? Do they just want to see an update? Is it more of like a get the endorphins of checking Twitter kind of feeling of seeing how many new subscribers you made or how much money in product sales you did today? Do you actually want to be like writing a full email or designing a full email? That's a whole other thing, right? Basic writing, that's probably doable. Designing a complex email, that's probably really difficult on a mobile device or at least on a phone size device. You know, in the same way that like InDesign or something like that would be challenging on a mobile device. It's just, it's not what that's for. Yeah. And so I think we just have to really challenge ourselves to make sure we understand the desires driving the question from a lot of the customer base and then designing for those things. And then once we design them, then we have to ask, yeah, do we want to maintain this? Is this something we can actually commit to in a reasonable way over time? Right. So it's complex. I know people don't want to hear all that, but that's how we think about it. Sounds good. Creators? You know... Most of the creators I'm paying attention to right this second, I've highlighted before, and I don't want to repeat necessarily. Mm. I got one. Okay. Do, 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 boop, 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 boop. Creator of the day. Got a little syncopation there. I like it. 
creator that I want to feature is a ConvertKit customer and she's pretty incredible. Her name is Bonnie Christine and she is a fabric designer. So we actually did a story on her. Issa did a story so you can check it out on the I Am A Creator podcast or on the blog. But she just has this incredible story of working in a quilting store and then deciding that, you know, she wanted to be a fabric designer and then realizing like, okay, wait, then I have to learn design. Maybe I should go to design school. No, actually, I'm going to teach myself. And anyway, the story just goes on. It's pretty fantastic. You know, she pays her way through learning design, you know, self-taught and just courses that she's buying by selling aprons and tea towels and things like that on Etsy. There's this line here somewhere. She realizes that if she made as many aprons as a day as she could, it could add up to $40,000 a year. And then she goes through this long journey. But basically what ends up happening is instead of originally going to design school, she creates all her own curriculum and teaches herself, becomes a successful fabric designer, gets her first contracts, and years later ends up creating her own design curriculum for people to learn Illustrator and go all the way through. And my favorite moment of the whole thing, which you can read the full story, but basically she does a course launch, sells her course sells $1.5 million worth of this course. Oh my gosh. 37 years worth of aprons. So it's pretty wild. BonnieChristine.com and then the Creator Stories, or the I Am A Creator podcast. So I love it. Okie dokie, artichokey. This has been episode 90. Great to be with y'all. Thanks for asking good questions. We will see you on Monday. Sounds good. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. (laughs) 